Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Mescal, guitars, kind of all this stuff. This is interesting. Today's my birthday. Falls on a Friday, which is a good day of the week. You know, thinking we're gonna freeze to death here again in Austin, Texas, but things are looking up. It's gonna be a good weekend. And I was in Oaxaca recently, as I've mentioned, and spent a good amount of time with Reed Spear. We had a conversation and led to this. So here is Reed Spear interviewing me before we had a beautiful private Quinta Quintos tasting here at my place in Austin, Texas, which was an amazing night. Just, but all of this, you know, this interview is really great. Reed's a great interviewer, great voice. We have the tasting, it's very communal and connective. And then we go, uh, as you do, Waterburg being drunk and eating Waterburger at 2 a.m. So what kind of more Texas of a day can you have? I'm not really sure. So without further ado, this is me, Mike G, a.k.a. Mike Groner, for those of you that don't know my last name. Hope you enjoy it. When we were in Oaxaca, I asked you how many how many interviews you'd conducted, and you said it was north of 350, I think. What yeah. did you say? There are... Yeah, so that are out that people know about, like 321 that's out. 321? Yeah, but there's... So you lied? No, there's a lot that are in the archives, so to speak, but I haven't put out. Okay, but basically it was, the deal was, you gave me a number, and I asked if anyone had interviewed you for your podcast, Mm. and you said no. So then I did the whole, actually turned the table around. I see. Well, that's good. It's time for me. That's exactly right, to interview you. I had a couple so people ask doing. some questions. I did, uh, but nothing. Not like this. No, nah, I hope no, we're not going like right. This. We're going right for the heart here. Yeah, there you right go. Right for the jugular. That's, that's good. I've been preparing for this. Going. To- <laughs> There's no preparation <laughs> possible. <laughs> well, it's a confession, you know. I'm not even Catholic, but I showed up and said, "I don't know if I can do this interview." There's so many <laughs> demons which I carry every day. That's exactly what a lot of priests want to hear. <laughs> yeah, I think they get off on that shit, right? <laughs> that's why you do. They want, they want to know that you, you're not going to talk. Okay, so now we've offended our friends. Good, good deal. Catholic community. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, to. So the the reason why I wanted to interview you is because, as it turns out, and contrary to what your friends told me, you're an interesting guy. Yeah, they wouldn't say that. I don't think. Right. They're like, why are you wasting your time interviewing? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you got a tasting to fucking do. What are you doing? Waiting, <laughs> spending time with this asshole. But you got a lot of irons in the fire, which is to me a yeah. fascinating thing. Yeah, so, it's a lot, man. I feel, you know, music is kind of, the, it, and I'm just going to take these questions kind of as, as, as we see, like, they'd be serpentine and tenuous and all that. But I, I honestly think that music was the thing that brought all of those other projects to fruition because melody is in food, melody is in alcohol. It, it, it's everywhere. And I can see it. Like a lot of people don't realize the way that I look in my head, I've got like, there are pictures that pop up when I drink a mezcal, for instance. It's actually like a keyboard. I actually see keys and I see a chord strung this across. Is, uh, this is, uh, first of all, didn't expect this. I do think you thought about this interview. <laughs> no, I have not. In, in advance. And um, in my head a lot. I though. wish I had, I wish I could carry a tune, but I can't even in a bucket. Yeah. You know? It's just, I think that musical talent is uh, something that to be envied. And I always do. and But you were getting ahead of me because, as I said, this is my interview. Yeah, sorry, sorry. And I, I do want to cover the music. But now we've got a theme, so let's go with that. Um, you, What was your first job? Do you remember? Yeah, for sure. I was thinking about this the other day, not in preparation <clears throat> for anything. I have a really clear memory of my childhood going way, way back. And it so I, wanna, I do want to get to that. Too. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's... I don't know why, but I I drink enough to where I should have hammered down some of the retention, to be honest, right? Like, it shouldn't be as clear as it is. But I was thinking about this dude who I went to 
high school with, and he had a white Ford Bronco. This is pre-OJ, mind you. A white Ford Bronco. And I remember he's like, you want to do this data entry thing. So I would actually listen to Snapple customer complaints on the phone and issue vouchers for them to get free Snapple. <laughs> so, wait, so this is great. A sna- what does a Snapple complaint sound like? Oh, my God. I can't quite remember. I think the people saying it, it arrived, there was sediment in it. It didn't taste the way that I wanted to. And sometimes it was just praise for Snapple. It's fucking Snapple. I mean, who like this is not this has to be 95, 96. Because Snapple was one of these first like, phenomenal like beverage phenom right, yeah. success things, as I recall. This was this was quite a while ago. A long time ago. Yeah. And there were all these abbreviations for the key codes and shit. Because it's all, you know, it was like Windows 3.1. But I always knew how to use a computer. But that was the first gig. But I remember that's not even the important part. The important part is the thing that I remember the most is one, eating Hot Pockets every day because I don't eat fucking Hot Pockets to save my life now. I would stay away from it. But the guy, and I think his name was Justin, I can't recall, but he had this Bronco, right? And he would always do U-turns. And every time he says, this Bronco has a good turning radius. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only thing I can remember from that whole like six months, three months. And I'll tell you right now, no one I've ever been with or married to knows that. That a Bronco has a good turning radius? No, that I worked do. and took Snapple. <laughs> <laughs> no, that like that. That's where that was my first job, and I can't. I it just occurred to me that they hadn't thought about it in, in years. I don't know what I even came. Maybe I was watching OJ getting chased or some shit. I don't know. So where where was this, this ge- was geographically? Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. Where yeah. were you born? I was born in Roswell, New Mexico. Well, this explains a lot. It does, and the twenty three in me that I took and sent mm-hmm. in. They sent it Never back. Never came back. Oh, it did come back. It okay. came back and they said, you we couldn't find any discernible DNA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not I, even kidding. I know. I, know. <laughs> so it's, it's, I knew that's where you were going. That's right. So yeah, I am an alien in some respect, I think. So you were born in Roswell mm-hmm. and then you moved to Salt Lake. No, there's a place Much more serpentine there. than that. So born in Roswell. Never met my dad. It's actually a huge piece of the story. My mom was working as a cocktail waitress at a bar at the Roswell Inn. And my biological father was a patron there. So she knew him. She was in her early 30s. He was in his early 20s. So she was robbing a cradle, so to speak. And this is worth noting that my mom and I are really close. Of course, I'd crack jokes. But she she was pregnant with me and and the dude just kind of left. Right? He's like, fuck this. I'm not going to. I'm too young for this. But she fancied the bar manager, the guy who ran the place. And that is my quote unquote dad, right? He's, He's your paternal influence. That's exactly right. And so she, we moved all around because she was in love with him. So he left. He was in the middle of a divorce. And he goes back to Indiana where he's from to go be back with his, that, that time ex-wife. There's some things that are happening at the same time with his father terminally ill and his dad sells you know they're very religious family at the time he's like you better get remarried to your ex-wife and do right by her right so there's this whole story they were one day away from putting the wedding invitations my mom and my dad they were going to get married when i was still in the womb i recall but he left they didn't drop the wedding invitations in the mail and he went to go be with his ex-wife and then they got married again my mom Went up to Detroit, because that's where my dad started working. So, followed him. Back and forth, back and forth. He gets engaged to another woman. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, and my mom's like, what the fuck? I remember even as a, at a young age, I couldn't have been more like five, six or seven, that that, that was kind of going on, you know. Um, yeah, it was pretty pretty interesting. And I'm going to finish answering this question. I'm going to turn up your gain on your microphone, too. I'm You'll do no much. such thing. No, look. You, oh, no, there you go. You see? Yeah, you have little burbs. Good. Okay. All it's right. all good. As long as you're there. But anyway, so that just takes us everywhere. So we go to Dallas. We go to Detroit. We go to Cleveland, Columbus, where my brother's born, back to Detroit. And my mom's like, fuck this shit. We're getting married or not. Because they had my brother together, but they weren't married. My brother's four years younger than me. Mm-hmm. So he says, okay. They get married in 88. And she says, now it's my turn. I've moved all over for you. So we're going to Arizona because I saw it on a golf match and it looked pretty. So <laughs> nice. I love that. I so, love, uh, yeah, that it's, it's almost like a little bit of spite there. Exactly. Like rubbing exactly. this in. 
so there we go. We moved to, to Phoenix, Scottsdale, specifically when it wasn't as rich as it is now. Dad in the restaurant biz his whole life. He got another gig in Salt Lake, so we moved to Salt Lake. He got another gig in operations in Houston. And then his greatest gig as director of operations for Whataburger. And then we they moved again, but I was in college, so I stayed in Houston and then moved to San Marcos. Yeah, it's a little serpentine story. So Yeah. Are you follow love, Reed? Follow yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then you found yourself sitting in a phone room answering calls about the quality of Snapple. Yeah, well, they're pre-recorded how, too. Yeah. How? What? Yeah, they were the, pre-recorded. The complaints were pre-recorded. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have to talk oh, to anybody. Okay. I just had to listen. See, I think they need to be sharpening their chops on like what you can do on the fly yeah why well, I, I was thinking that's where you got your interview skills oh hell no i just listened <clears> you just shot that theory all to hell well i did do phones for apple though when i started in 2004 i started on the right phone. so that's where you went from snapple snapple to apple <laughs> apparently there was like an aspiration there to do rhyming companies no i was I worked at man it, i've done a lot of stuff but i worked at best buy for a long time selling computers i have this whole dark ulterior tech side that people what was your first computer oh man the my mom got us a really at the time a great 486 packard bell mm -hmm. and i wasn't i was playing game that was the only time i ever gamed on a computer and i you know you download modem and all that shit and the violent games i always liked those those are good um, but that was probably 1995 right yeah back at, remember packard bell i do my, i mean i my first computer was an apple IIe. oh was it which i is, used them at school yeah. but we didn't have one it was pretty expensive that was that was well in advance of 1995 yeah that's yeah a little older yeah but you're not you know you're just a little bit younger than me so no, the, i mean so the apple IIe was, was i think in 85 yeah 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 right after the big commercial right yep. not right after but more yeah or less. right after the big commercial yeah but computer's a big thing. It's been a big part of my life. And that's why, you know, I really like technology and recording and all that. How'd you find your way into Apple? I was at Best Buy and there was the Zune. Remember that MP3 player that Microsoft put out? So it was the, the shitty yes, Zune. Yes, yes. We all have yeah. it this thing. Right, right. Uh, there was the Nomad that Creative Labs made. Mm -hmm. Many, many portable... This is a time of the Palm Pilot, too, mind you. But there were many... I still have one. Do you really? I do, yeah. Is yeah. it a Palm Pilot or... We've got the dock, everything for it. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and then that... You can't bring myself to throw it away. Yeah, and then you have, like, a phone that just makes everything easier, you know, right. now. It's just pro profound. But, yeah, so the... Oh, I think this is the first time I've lost train of thought in the interview in quite some time. You were asking about... Is how you found your way into Apple. Oh, that's right. So... Oh, yeah, all the MP3 people kept coming in to Best Buy. They're like, hey, do you have the iPod? Do you have the iPod? Do you have the iPod? It's like 2003. I'm like, what? What is that? iPod, iPod. And I was like, oh, shit, we did just get the new Apple computers. You know, the iMac, the, the blue mm -hmm. one with the plastic shell. Right. The eMac, sorry. And I just kept hearing about Apple, like, again and again and again and again. I was like, this company's, they're coming back. Because they were fucking in the sticks. They went through some issues. Yeah especially that time and the ipod <clears throat> rebuilt the whole company but they, I was, they had at one point um licensed the os oh and, i didn't know yeah, that. yeah and the power power computing made a number of machines uh and then they went and this was after steve jobs left yeah right he did uh next right yeah next and then they brought him back he put an end to that licensing because that was never part of the plan that's crazy and then did the new the first first round of the imac but it was the iPod that started bringing the, the consumer attention back to them. And of course, after the iPhone, yeah, the, it, the rest is history. Up. Yeah. Well, that was the thing is, is I saw the trend. I saw the writing on the wall, right? I was like, retail is going to be going away. And I was 23, but I knew that Apple was coming back. And so at the time, hot jobs. So I applied for a gig at, at Apple and they called me because I had already had six years retail experience selling computers. Mm -hmm. so i mean i was in pretty good shape i was, worked at a grocery store being a floor supervisor and stuff so had plenty of work experience in my early 20s 
And they called me and they said, let's get you in for an interview. I was late because I couldn't find the building. And then I had an interview. These two people are still with Apple. And I see and see them. I've been there 17 years, mind you. And they say, this is the schedule. Can you do it? And I said, well, actually, I can't because I'm in college. And this is exactly when my classes are. It was my last semester. And they said, okay, well, we'll find another role for you. The, unheard of. Apple found me another role. That's awesome. Is it cool? Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic story. So they saw something in you that they really liked. Yeah. And I, because I was so committed to making a career at Apple at that time, at least, I was three points away from failing my capstone, which then I wouldn't have got my undergrad mm -hmm. because I was just, I was busy, man, you know, working full time and then going down to San Marcos. I was living in Austin, so I was traveling back and forth. But, you know, 17 years later, it's taught me a lot. It's like going to film school, right? You immerse yourself in an aesthetic that with film could be Italian, German, seldom German in terms of film, but French mostly. And you breathe it in and you realize what, what you prefer in aesthetic, how you want to interact with art. And if anything, and I, I never talk about Apple on the podcast, right? Like, but it is given me a sense of aesthetic. I don't know how, but it did. And it really refined the way that I look at things, whether it's from a taste perspective or from a visual perspective, because you look at the iPhone 13 Pro, which I've got, it is beautiful. Well, the, the company's always been designed forward. Yeah. At least after they left the the brown box, right. so uh, and obviously brought Johnny Ive in. But even yeah, even Johnny. prior to him, they were designed forward. In fact, they really kind of went overboard uh, with it. And in the case of the laptops, and, mm. and finally, you know, eliminating all the ports. Mm -hmm. Right, that was something that upset the client, and they finally brought that back in the latest release. But I mean, <clears throat> we were having a discussion about Apple, but I think that that attention to design is something really hard to ignore about them it is you know the beauty is beauty you know and one of the things i think steve jobs said some time ago and this is obviously a paraphrase but when microsoft was launching a new os i can't recall at this point it was way past xp though it was like it's more recent os they tried to create a new font mm -hmm. right they were thinking we need to create new but one of the pillars of successful design filmmaking songwriting hardware design with the tech is that you always look at what has been the pillars of Rome, you know, the, the, the styles of columns, the typeface. So something that I realized is that you're never really truly going to do something new. So you might as well pay homage to the past, you know? And so that, that, that was it. And that was another thing I really learned from Apple, you know, you, you, whatever, like for instance, like song music, it's all fucking been done. So I've been writing a song that I've have the loose title called "I'll Be There," right? And we both mm -hmm. know it's an amazing four top song, four top song. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, but I can't call it that. That's a fucking "I'll Be There." That that song, you know. And I said, fuck it, no. I'm I'm real open about it. music is to be shared, you know. And it's the same thing with design. You can't really do anything new, even if you try. So with respect to your music, <clears throat> I, I want to I talk about all of your side projects, but let's, let's take a minute <laughs> to talk about, so you're working for Apple. Yeah. You're, you've got numerous alcohol projects going on and a non-alcohol yeah. alcohol project going on. Yeah. Somehow you find time to make an album in the middle of all this. Mm. Yeah, the, I don't, I don't understand necessarily how other people operate, but I would say generally speaking, if you don't have a creative outlet, what do you have? I say Netflix. That. I love Netflix too. I'm just kidding. No, but, but you're I right. think that's probably true for a lot of people. For sure. It there's unplugging and vegging out, which I, I absolutely get too. But I'm feeling a lot of things. And a lot of that has to do with the way that the world's changed, which is fine try to evolve, try to adapt. A lot of it has to do with love, which has been something that's plagued me for decades. Just you? 
<laughs> um, in my yeah, in a in a very again non unique way, something that's been done and done and yeah, the, but this so the, but this is an interesting thing because the because the love song uh-huh. is, is such an enduring and 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 uh, constantly recurring. Yeah. It's never going anywhere. No, never. And uh, and there are great ones. And here you've done what to me essentially is a, is a is an album full of them. Yeah, it's like. It's like the Mike G version of 69 Love Song. Right? You know that Magnetic Fields album? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great album. I, it's, all I know is that I've been playing music a really, really long time. I've been producing bands. I was done that for over 20 years and played live and all this stuff. But I never realized that it's actually about practice. Not practice to be good at your instrument. Practice to always give it some time to always give the guitar some attention, to always give a moment to how you're feeling, how you're thinking, right? And that's something that I didn't realize I needed to do. So I sing every day now, which was not the case. It's singing, songwriting, it's just a muscle, writing. And I found that if I just kept pushing and kept doing, that it just brought on more songs. They just kind of came to me. It was mm-hmm. the first time I felt that prolific. I mean, at least three records in a year, you know, and it's a lot. And I think it comes down to going back to what I was saying is like, if I didn't have that outlet, creative outlet, I don't know what I would do because it's such a healthy way to work through things, you know. Yeah, it absolutely is. And we're sitting here in a room here for people who, who can't, well, no one can see it, but people who haven't been here, I'm looking at four guitars, <laughs> Yeah, some amazing... uh recording equipment i'm even seeing some lighting equipment here oh yeah that's the tiktok stuff okay so <laughs> so now you're in the video mm-hmm. um do you play any other instruments yeah you know when you walk in i got that beautiful cramp piano <clears throat> that's what i was yeah what I was referring to that's now. where it all started my mom yeah. made me take piano lessons so what time what, what age were you when you started taking them seven seven see now seven or eight i think and how how was it that you stuck with it when other people don't I frankly stuck with it when I started playing. We were living in Phoenix, taking piano lessons, and we went to Salt Lake, and I continued classical training for piano. I loved guitar so much, I quit piano. Mm-hmm. But at that time, the kind of pianist that I was is I was playing the classics. I love classical music. Debussy is, is my all-time favorite. Chopin is really lovely to play on piano, too. And... I was like, but guitar is fucking guitar, man. You know, like that, that never with the, the the notion that I was going to be famous or meet girls or whatnot. Which it's okay if you thought that. No, I mean, sure. A lot, a lot I people, wish that that was what it was. Yeah, I'm oblivious to fucking females. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> there, yeah, there's there's a story I was playing. That's what they all say to say to me. <laughs> that, Mike, no, I'm, I'm actually Mike's really oblivious to us. I'm a, yes, I think no. that that's true. But right. uh, nonetheless, that was the gateway to guitar, and then I came back to piano as a songwriter. My skill as a pianist wasn't, I'm like a hundred times better guitar player than I am pianist, but I can write on piano now, which I never could do when I was younger. So this is just all very impressive to me. What? What? To, what, to be, uh, well, come on, to be able to, to write music, to be able to write uh-huh. a song that, tell me about, t- t- tell me about the, uh, the creative process. Are you writing the song first? Are you writing the music mm-hmm. first? Do you get a tune in your head when you're out walking around? How does this emerge? It's always guitar first. And that's my, I, f- I feel closer to the guitar more than anything else musically. Yeah. And so you'll see my acoustic out there. That, that's it. So it starts there. There's a riff or whatever. And I don't go forward anymore with anything unless I can write melodically something I find to be a good vocal hook. And this is before I know what the song's about. And this is why, if I understand correctly, this is how McCartney wrote too, as I found out recently, like, you sing a thing and you're like, oh, I like the, the tune of that. And then you find words to match it and go backwards. So that's how yeah. the process is for me. And then it's never starting. I used to say like, and this didn't work well, but I used to say, I'm gonna write a song in C minor, right? Now C minor on piano, beautiful, engulfing. And for those of you who play piano or know what that is, it's totally different on guitar. Guitar doesn't, it doesn't breathe the same way in C minor. So I'd try to do it that way. And then I'd write a song that wasn't really that strong. But now I just write whatever, and either it works or it doesn't. It's a little, it's the best stuff in my opinion I've been writing, but I don't know why it changed. I, I guess I changed. I don't know. 
it's different. Yeah, I mean these 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 things evolve, right? You're mm-hmm. you're you're layering experience upon experience, and yeah. for whatever reason, you know, we are all products of antecedent experience. Yeah, yeah. It's all I can say is that the the, the one thing that's really I listen to my stuff. Not not I listen to it because it can take me back to that moment. Mm-hmm. Because every single song is about a thing, and I can remember the moment that I wrote the thing. You know what I mean? So in a way, it's a really nice highlight reel of my life. And I can go back and be like, oh, shit, I remember when I wrote that song. It, it, it's really very, very pleasant, and it, it grounds me to do that. So it's almost like keeping a diary. That's right, yeah. And other people can read it, which is cool, and they can interpret it however they want. But I'll tell you the one thing about the music piece, because I just do it for me, right? But I'll go out, and someone will tell me, that I had no idea that they listened to it. They're like, oh man, that record's good. I'm like, wait, what? So I find out about people listening to it after. It's really, that's beautiful. really cool. Yeah. That's a, re- that's, a, that's a nice confirmation to have. It is. Yeah. It's really, really cool. And I just never expected. If you do things for other people, that's always the wrong reason. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. Exactly. So we've we launched from Apple into music. And now I just want to go back for a second. Just, I, I don't. Tell us what you do for Apple. Mm. <clears throat> so I'm a content strategist. I love content. So what, what this means is TikTok's a channel, right? You YouTube's a channel. Mm-hmm. Podcast is a channel. Using an app is a channel. And the voice isn't the same for each. The duration of the content's not the same for each. The style's not the same. And so knowing what the right style is knowing what the right length, duration, type of content to use in a particular setting with our customers is what what I do. What's the best thing to, to use? That's fast. So give us an example. I uh, can't to, get to into the extent that you can. But, yeah. um, let's just say there is. Here's a great example, and we talk about this at, at work. And I some time ago. No, shit, I had to replace an ice maker in my fridge, right? Right. What, 20, 30-minute gig? Did it take you about that much? So there's that. And so what would you do to learn how to replace an ice maker? Video is perfect. Sure. Right? Same thing with this wiring. I got to go wire another controller for the... Gotcha. Yeah, for the distillery. However, <clears throat> if I just want to learn how to tie a bow, that could be just an article. You know what I mean? That could be a number list of one, two, three. Mm-hmm. So depending what it, the situation is, the kind of content would be different, if that makes sense. Again, going back to... This makes perfect sense for someone with a creative mind. Is that right, you think? I do. Oh. Yes, because you're, what, you're, what you're doing is you're determining the best way to deliver a piece of information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess so. I think it comes down to psychology, though. You know what? What? What's the best way to be empathetic to that particular situation for somebody? Mm. You know, I don't think the, crea- the the content itself has to be creative. It just has to meet them where they are and understand that it could be a difficult situation. I mean, I'm like that as a person too. So yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I've always found you to be a rather empathetic guy. Yeah, yeah, probably <clears> too. <throat> not to a fault, but to an extent that maybe folks don't really know that much about me because I know more about them. I've, I've been kind of coming across this conversation lately. You're, you're, you've been collecting uh-huh. information about people effectively uh-huh. for quite some time. And I remember it. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. So you're, I mean, you're, the, you're the ultimate people person. I love people a lot. Yeah. Despite when we had plenty of conversations. This, with is, this, is, this is a conversation I've had with, with other people in my life, right? An introvert is exhausted by people. An extrovert gets recharged by people, and you're clearly in that camp. Yeah, consider it a balance, right? But socializing with folks, understanding what they're going through, their successes, their lows, their highs, that helps me. I feel The more I feel connected to people in general, again, in their successes or things that are are very difficult in their life, I need that, but I also need that time sitting in my chair playing a you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not a true extrovert. It's a, it's a blind for sure. Ambivert. 
Thank you. <laughs> I think yeah. that's, that's the new term for it. <clears throat> so in addition to, you're also doing a number of projects. Yeah. Um, and I want to just get a brief history of your involvement in the beverage industry. Mm. The, and, and this is the, this is the, the, the Genesis story is Austin in 2011 was booming with new cocktail joints. Now it's in a more mature state. It's still, it's not like Chicago. It's not like New York, but it's in a place now where cocktails are kind of a thing and people do them poorly and they, or they do them amazingly. But in that year, my business partner and I, Charles, we would go out and get food and there was just great chefs and, and at that time. You know, Chris was talking about Eastside Showroom earlier because uh, Kelly, who, who you all traveled with today, used right. to work over there. And that was the first place I was like, man, food and cocktails, that's like a thing. Tell me why. What, what, what drives you into that? The, is it the creativity? It's partially the creativity. It is painting a melody. A cocktail, the greatest cocktails are three notes. Now, you go to martinis too, but you could count bitters because it's three. But it's three. And it's the simplicity of it and what it, the kind of restraint it takes to make something beautiful with less. Right? We have many people who, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson is a great example where as a director where he just like crams as much stuff into the movie where it could have been simpler. You could have just reduced it by 30 minutes, took, it out a couple, took out a couple characters. But that's the thing with food is that a carpaccio is beautiful because of the fat, the egg, which is also fat, but capers, the salinity. I it's mean, acid. right? Isn't it like the perfect fucking thing? It's the same thing with the daiquiri. You know, you got you use the right rum or blend. But at any rate, like it was, I felt like I could, I could hang with that industry. You know, we cut, we're cut from the same cloth. I've always been thinking about flavors, even from a young. You know, I've, I've observed that people in the food and beverage industry, it really draws in a lot. Of, the, you know, when I was in college, it was there were it was a there was a big Greek presence at Penn, oh. Penn State, right? But yeah. the, the I was I studied philosophy, as you know, and then yeah, yeah. we we not hang out with the English majors and the fine arts majors, and and you kind of create this like non like the 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 uh, what do you want what do you want to call them the uh, the square pegs, right? Mm-hmm, they're, mm-hmm. they're in the food and beverage industry in a big way, and I I, I love this industry and I love those people, and you yeah. seem like you are of a piece to that that for sure i mean i wouldn't have stuck <clears throat> around and i, I made I, I posted this to facebook which normally i just want to make stupid jokes i love like stupid jokes right i love humor i love 80s humor and stuff but something struck tell me tell us a stupid joke oh like, i don't have any come on fucking, man it's the whole fucking moon thing we had you know it was great having dinner on the moon but it had no atmosphere or whatever like <laughs> which is so <laughs> stupid so bad it's so bad but Oh, no, actually the one that I'm actually still proud of. There was some years ago on I-35, mm-hmm. there was a big tanker truck that had pork parts, and it somehow got in an accident and spilled all these park, these parts on the, the highway. And I was like, oh, man, it looks like I-35 is a porking lot. Like, it's <laughs> because all the cars are stopped there. Anyway, so that's how, bad, that's how bad it gets. But, yeah, I agree with you. The people in the industry... There, I, I can't recall if it was the, the mayor of New York or not, but someone used the word unskilled to talk about. That's awful. It was a fucking horrible thing. Because because the, the, what, what I'm saying is that they're highly skilled. Oh, of course. But they're not, they haven't found anything. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's serving this purpose of bringing very creative types in to do something sure. that's essential and amazing. It is, and we don't... It's just like, this is tangential, but... Where do your produce come from? Not you, but right? Like, right, right. <clears throat> the folk, the same folks that you and I know working their ass off for very, very little money in Oaxaca to make a product. Right. Same model. We ignore it. But the thing is, it's, it's, it's a convenient way to look at the hospitality and say, well, they're just, they're just serving me. Fuck you, they're serving. You know what I mean? And like, it's such a weird and shitty dynamic. And it's along the same school of thought as not tipping. It's along the same school of yelling at your wait staff because you think you're better. They're there to serve you. There was a story. I was in Houston recently. And I lo- like I said, I love people. love talking to cab drivers and Uber drivers and shit. Right. And you get, by the way, the best restaurant recommendations for oh, cab drivers. For to- totally. <clears throat> so I was talking to this guy, super nice guy. And he was describing a, a, 
situation in which he had two men in the back. He was, they were clearly intoxicated already. One was pretty nice. The other one was kind of getting like loud and obnoxious and stuff. And so he gets to the destination and the guys kind of open the door somewhat. And the obnoxious guy looks out and he's like, oh, this place is dead. Let's get another place. So he hops back in the car. We both know that's not how Uber works, right? It's right, right. a point to point destination. And so the guy starts yelling at the Uber driver and he's like, yo, take me to this next place. And he's like, you know, this is y'all stop book another ride and get it. He's like, no, I, I, I own you. I paid for this. Oh. And so see what I'm saying? That that's the same sentiment that oh. people have towards wait staff and that they have towards <clears throat> that because once you say unskilled, what does that mean? They're not as good as you, right? And we both know that's bullshit. And so that's the thing is that I'm not protective. I try not to to be that way with you if you need something you tell me. This is what I've learned about mescaleros in the industry of mescalas. White people are always like, "Oh, well this is what they need. They need money." I'm like, eh. Let's right. just ask them what they need. Yeah, right. Yeah, this was a. You know, I'm on board with that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a Pedro Jimenez thing. <clears throat> he always says that. It's like we ask and you tell us. Yeah, you there you go. Um, which is good, but the it's just you meet them on the same level. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah, they are yeah. this. It, we're all people, and we're all doing amazing things. Right. And we should treat it as such. But right. anyway, so I'm I'll stick up for this industry as long as I live. So we, we I, I'm with you on this, and I, I, I'm sure your audience is. Well, we've wandered off the topic of how you how you found it and, sure. and the projects that you're doing in it. Yeah. So the the food led to creation, and it led to me mixing ingredients together in my then shed. So okay. I learned I learned how so to. So now ferment. we have an image of of you in the shed with three ingredients. That's right. I learned how to ferment <clears throat> with three, three, four ingredients. Okay. Okay. Actually, this might be three ingredients. Right. Anyway, right. so I learned how to ferment. Tell us what in they a were. shed. What were they? With sugar, okay. white sugar. Yeah. Baker's yeast, Fleischmann's, the shit you sure. can get. Tomato paste, and Epsom salt. Jesus, I can't even imagine what this must have tasted like. It tastes like like tomato bread. <laughs> <laughs> but that's. You didn't say flour. No, I know, but it, but the yeast just somehow when it starts eating all that sugar, it tastes like bread. You know? Okay, so this was what was the idea behind this? This was going to be because I always had this stupid punk rock mentality that you must do things things grassroots wise. This was going to be the neutral base for the gin that we were going to make. Got you. Okay, so we you were, were looking for a clear spirit. That's right. Very high proof. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and were it, you able to knock the tomato flavor out? No. It's it kind of knocks out. It's only a pH buffer when it comes down to it. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird, man. But I, I remember. But you surely could have gotten something cheaper than, than, than tomato paste. Yeah, of course. I didn't know shit about anything. Okay. You know? All right. All right. <laughs> no, I'm just pushing. I got to push back a little bit. In 2012, you know. <clears throat> but I'll tell you this. I had to transport it to the then distillery before we had products because I was learning how to ferment, learning how to distill. And that motherfucker would be sloshing in my back seat. And how, it's much like, are we, how much are we talking about? This is like 15 gallon. Okay. So, fifteen gallon tub of fermented stuff <laughs> in my vaccine. <laughs> Just hoping it doesn't spill over because it'll be—it's sugar. To, you know, not a good story if it spills in the back of my Honda. You know. No, it's tough to explain your way out of that. That's right. Well, that's another element too. Yeah. Right. But I still put stuff in my trunk, and it still smells like Sotol in my car. So anyway, I haven't learned my lesson. T- Ten years later, I still put stuff in the car. We're working up to the Sotol. Yeah. So go from fermenting tomato paste to the next <laughs> give us the that highlights you're a, on the project that that became the gin not okay. the tomato paste but the neutral okay, give us the name of the gin so genius gin was the first one all right learn how to design in 3d so we could build a custom bottle which i still think is a beautiful bottle learned everything i could about fermentation with the one thing which is sucrose or mm-hmm. uh, sugar in this case and then learn how to distill gin and i had a, a very very clear idea of what i wanted it to taste like because i tried every gin i possibly could i'm like nope 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 it's like dayton right it's like no red flag red flag but the most important thing in terms of distilling that ever happened to me was in 2014 i went to oaxaca for the first time with a couple of people mm-hmm. charles my business partner as well and a couple other people dennis who owns roswell room for instance and i got to Take some of the inform the, the way because I've been proofing. I know how to proof, and I've been running a distillery and stuff. 
And I went with Judah out to visit Aquilino. Nice. And we went with a member of CRM, one of the dudes, the teetotaling guys, right? And he was cool. But I remember sitting there in Aquilino, the, the, the concrete spot, which now he's got the man, had the man cave. But anyway, but I got to proof Mezcal with Judah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the fuck? This is crazy, right? Because I do it in a whole other category. And so we're doing that. We're hanging out. Amazing day. But I tasted everything. I looked at everything. And I was like, this, there's something that I need to be paying attention to here. So I get back. This is late 2014. Early 2015. I get a call from my friend Justin, who now works in the distribution realm. He's like, hey, do you want to go check out this place? They're, they're growing this thing called Satol. And I was like, okay, let's go out. Mm-hmm. You know. And so we went out. I'm like, looks foreign as fuck to me i don't know the first thing about this thing you know and i ended up making the first two batches of sotol ever in america north North in 15 2015 yeah even though i haven't been credited by a lot of times because you're getting credit right now man (laughs) it doesn't fucking matter when it comes down to it right but then i was like this is amazing i love this this is different i'm connecting with the earth this brings me back to how i felt in oaxaca the connection to nature and all that that changed everything and ever since then i've been as, as you know we were just on walking together i've wanted to learn every possible thing about mezcal and agave and sotol because it's the absence of technology there is no technology well it's a technology it's just an old technology right right it's, it's not science, it's not right? what people here think of as technology yeah but any technique that's repeated is a technology yeah well, you're right. But but let's just say that <clears throat> that's been the most meaningful thing. And we just got done harvesting 115 plants, a crew of seven on Saturday. Which we just saw in the garage. <laughs> yeah, and smelled in the garage and stuff. And this plant has talked to me. That's going to sound strange. But nature talks if you choose to listen. And this plant has somehow given me purpose that I don't think anybody or anything ever realized so working with it getting cut by it spending all these hours failing in ferments batting my head against the wall i'll tell you the only reason i can do this is because of folks in mexico because they gave me information i said i'm having a hard time here right what should i do and that free exchange of conversations roberto contreras from sonora who makes palmi out there good mate he he helped me in a way that he, I don't think he'll ever realize. And it allows me now to make Sotol in the way that I know how. But your failures are what drove you to ask the questions. That's right. right? There aren't really any failures. They're just different ways to come at a problem. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a wise way to look at it. But I look at it as this is on me. You know, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm letting it's people you. You've got to do this. There's no question about it. Well, you even let, you even let us down. Yeah. Mike. That's right. <laughs> <clears throat> So you've got gin. What was the what's what is or was the genius disposition, gin is the disposition of that company? That's called Genius Liquids. The distillery is still around. Okay, we are got some great plans for twenty two, but old highborn gin, which is the one that is the money maker for us, is a mm-hmm. liter gin, very inexpensive, but made in a pot still, just like the best gins. Despite what I've heard people from uh, certain cognac houses that make plant sorry not plantation y'all not plantation, but some people talk shit. Because it's so inexpensive, they think that we're using additives and stuff, but that's not the case. Um, but so that one, we got into New York with Nicholas Plotzi at Pima Spirits against all odds during COVID. Mm-hmm. They've been killing it for us out there. Congratulations on that. Yeah, man. Thank you. Um, it's been a lifesaver in that respect. But dude, I got thousands of agave, which I think you, I hope you have some of these seeds that I brought you the seeds. All right, sweet. But I left them in my room. <laughs> 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 Shit, man. I got the seeds for you. Chris is here for another day. Okay. He's cool. going to have the seeds. Yeah, I'll get them from him. But that's the future. I've got seeds from Guerrero. I'll just mail them to you. The trick was that's getting fine. them into the country. Yeah. And that's done. But we're going to, like, I just, <clears throat> I want us. So tell us about the seeds and why I brought them back for you. Well, I, there's Sotol's here. It's in Texas, right? Yeah. And it tastes a certain way. And yeah. It's, it's its own thing. But the dream for me is to work with agave that I've grown. You know, I've tried with the USDA to bring agave over. And you get these seeds through Jason, uh-huh. and we have about 150 of two types. And what do we have? So 
Jason Paul Cox, a good mate who started Cinco Sentidos, he has a lot of growing projects. I love that about him. Right. Is that it doesn't end with the mezcal that he sources from these great producers. He grows shit. And that's investing in the future for his producers and himself. And so we have a papalote from Guerrero. That's one of the seeds. Beautiful. I'm super excited about. And the other is Sierra Negra from Santa Catarina Alvarados from Don Alberto. Perfect. So these have a home. I'm, I've got a home for them. Can you tell us a yeah, little bit just, about that? Just outside of North Austin, I met someone who was harvesting wild juniper some years ago mm-hmm. and asked us if we wanted it for the gin. We we used it. It's not as flavorful as some of the stuff from the Midwest, or Colorado specifically, but I like him. His land talks, man. It's a spiritual place, and I have about 50 to 100 agave already out there that are mature. Not mature. Most this, is this is great. So you've got an arrangement yeah. to put the, the agaves in. It's in, a, it's in a location where they're going to it's easy enough for you to care for them mm-hmm. and it's only yeah it's just outside the city and he's into it good guy good family guy you know and i hope that this is what i'm doing in my 50s man as i'm out there it sounds like you're well on your way to it yeah i yeah. hope so we'll see i don't know how long this shit takes to grow off in our, our soil but off the top of my head i i, I don't know how long a papalote or a sierra mm-hmm. negra takes but I, I would wager that it's it's in the 10 to 15 range Probably so. I need to <clears throat> stick around that long at least. After that, after I harvest the first of each of these You're done. species, I'm done. Yeah. You're done. I can call it a day. <laughs> All right. Now you've got another project. Yeah. The Slow Luck, which is a non alcoholic distilled product, distilled spirit, however you want to call it. I am I'm in love with the team because it's a separate entity right like genius charles and i own that's the toll that's the gins and everything but this is separate because they were trying to figure out how to make a thing and like we want to make a non-alcoholic spirit and i said yeah let's do that because i'm not it's a puzzle this is a, this is to to i think a lot of people's surprise a the low and no is a is a growing category mm-hmm. and it's going to continue growing absolutely and, and so here you are again at the front of something awesome. Yeah, right? maybe. So you're smelling out trends and you're doing a good job of it. Well, when there's lots, when there's fewer entrants right now, mm-hmm. we can be the best. Sure. You know what I mean? Because I know a couple of these companies and I've learned about the process and it is using a concentrate than adding water. So you're adding water, which has no flavor, to just disperse that small amount of concentrate into mm-hmm. the rest of it. Right? I hate that philosophically that's how they do tequila right you just add a bunch of water to the the cuerpo and then you're done right but every single drop of this product details all the time but anyway so the na space i i was the first to make sotol maybe i'll make the first na that tastes like tastes good and it was a process of understanding what i loved about spirits but bringing it to something without alcohol yeah i mean i'm i I'm fascinated by it. I love the idea. The older I get, the less I want to drink. Yeah, which you don't mind saying, but it's true. Yeah, you know, I just I don't I, can't, I don't bounce back like I used to. I think a lot of people feel that way, sure. but they're out. They want to be social. They want to taste things that are novel and delicious. And I, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, we'll see. And I hear some <clears throat> senior execs that certain companies are already talking about us. So my plan here wasn't to be a, a stay-at-home. And a distiller I, I gave the crew a commitment for a certain amount of time and then i was i wanted to walk away from it because once the challenge is done you, you just operationalize it and then you just put it out the same way you know but choosing which acid to use and stuff and preservative that's so you're gonna just start with one product you're gonna you're gonna you gotta have more products in the yeah. pipeline i'm sure well we'll look in the fridge i'll show you what okay I'm sounds on good all right what else anything else in this have i missed anything in the uh Nah, man. I mean, TikTok stuff's going well. TikTok. Yeah. I like reviewing stuff. I think I probably should have been an actor. The, the three-minute review. It's 60-second tasting. 60-second tasting. But yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. We're just going to call it three-minute review. That's fine. All right. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so you've done a lot of interviews. Yeah. And I want to ask you if you if you have any favorites that really jump out. It's just... There's a... People tell me shit, Reed. And 
this has been the the case my whole life where people will tell me very very revealing things that are by many standards are kind of difficult traumatic things um and one there was an interview of course i won't tell you who it was because we stopped recording but they detailed their snm life to me oh my god yeah and with great detail because it had been a at the core of some abuse actually in a couple relationships so that sounds like they got pretty raw that's right yeah once we stop recording so this is this is not something you solicited or elicited Mm -hmm. but it just this is like uh you know taxi cab confession Really? And I was going to say, uh, Errol Morris, you uh-huh. know, he's famous for letting people hang themselves. That's right. Right, in his interviews. And this is what I'm trying to get you to do right now. Hang myself. <laughs> Just kidding, yeah. Uh, no, I mean. <clears throat> but you're, you, so that that stands out. Oh, I remember Does that. it stand out as a, as a favorite interview or just something that just was out of left field? It was, it's just something that makes me realize what privilege but yet i'm not gonna call it a talent necessarily but whatever skill it is that i have that people tell me these things had someone tell me they were raped you know this is separate from the show this isn't a happy topic mike no i know it's but that's okay it's real right we, we go through all these fucking things um but on the other hand getting to go to talikstak for instance in this last trip to oaxaca and i'm interviewing an 80-year-old man who details the smuggling history of rum in the region, in northern Oaxaca. That's a story that will only live on through Jason, for instance, Paul Cox, or, you know, some of the folk, Carlos that works for Cinco Sentidos, but I got it on Mike. Lovely. You know what I mean? Right. That's a fucking truck up there, man. And I'm there with a MacBook Pro and a microphone, and he's talking about the history of his family making rum. A road that didn't exist until 1993. I mean, that's fascinating stuff. And no one else has captured that, to my knowledge, you know. So those are the things. It's been life-changing, the relationships and the friendships that I've built. I think yourself included, to be honest. I mean, I know we hung out the first time you were in Austin and whatnot. But I think had we not done the interview, had we not been at Las Almas Rotas in Dallas for the official launch of Cuento Cuentos, and then the Oaxaca time, I think it's a catalyst for, for really beautiful change in my life and long standing change. So do you what would you so this is interesting. You've got basically this massive repository of of, mm-hmm. of information yeah. uh, about the food and beverage industry and you're publishing it on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you've had a few interviews go sideways. Mm-hmm. Um, are are there any interviews that are just on the horizon that are you you've been trying to get for a long time that, that you have have been elusive or Mm -hmm. where do you want to go with this the i didn't know that i needed to interview ansley right i didn't know i knew his brand a fascinating guy beyond fascinating yeah and it was as chris would tell you because he was sitting there that was one of the most life change like ron sitting down with ron cooper because it was just he and i right and leslie was there and it was the downtown downstairs at the esquire just ron and i drinking mezcal Mm -hmm. that was one of those moments i'm like fuck this is a moment man but also this moment out on the terrace outside the place i stand in waka with ansley and i'll tell you exactly what this is paraphrased but i've learned and i think we talked about this in dallas last time we were up there last almost wrote this but i am learning to appreciate what people tell me about how they feel about my work or what i've done or who i am all this it's a journey, but I'm accepting it. I'm not very inclined to take that to heart. I have to really, really try. So I asked Danza that same question. The guy works all the time. And I said, so do you plan the, the next project? Do you think about what you need to do next? And he's like, no, I'm just in the moment. I do it. And I do it. And I said, do you ever take any time to reflect on the impact you've had on other people's lives? And he looks at me. He's smiling. He kind of goes straight face. He's like, no, I haven't. And I said, I think you should. And that was that was a moment, man. And it, I think you should too. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you, sure. You know, 300 and some interviews is quite a few interviews. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of experience. Um, but anyway, that was that, that interview is not out yet. I think there's a piece in there that is not to be made public uh, regarding a certain acquisition that distills 
craft distillers will be doing. So I need to edit that. Out. Right. I don't know if it's public or not yet. But anyway, that was a that was a big one. So it's been it's been a life altering thing, man. Super life altering. You have the you have the the controversial last um, question. Now you have the opportunity uh-huh. to sit down and have a cocktail <laughs> with any historical personage, uh-huh. past or present. What are you drinking, and who was it with? And so no one's ever asked me this question, which is great. Um, I was thinking, man, there, there's, there's, a, there's so, there's so many, and I, you know, I'm like a film guy. But I'll tell you one that came to mind because he died of drinking. In fact, um, while filming Gladiator, he tried to outdrink the staff in South Africa. Was it? And at any rate, so Oliver Reed. Do you know Oliver Reed? I don't. Tell us. Classic British actor. Oh, motherfucker. Tattooed his dick, apparently, from what I've read. Very, very good friends with Richard Burton and Peter O'Toole. Mm-hmm. They ran and drank together all the time. But when I was visiting my folks, my dad wanted to watch some classic Johnny Carson interviews, which I love Johnny Carson. Dick Cavett, I prefer because he's a better interviewer. But Oliver Reed, there's an infamous, it's Shelley Winters, and I'm talking about old people from Hollywood, bygone era, or whatever, but Shelley Winters was a Pretty popular actress. She was in, uh, it doesn't matter, there's a movie with Robert Mitchum that comes to mind. But anyway, so she's there and she's talking over Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed's drinking whiskey and smoking a cigarette as you do in the 70s. He was just promoting his movie with Betty Davis, Burnt Offerings, which is a great horror movie if you've ever seen it. And Shelly Winters keeps interrupting him. And she, he's getting pissed. And he's, they, t- they talk about having knocked boots together and shit. He's being a little bit immature about stuff. And so she goes, she's like, I got it. I got a thing. I got to go. And so Oliver Reed's interview continues. Shelly Winters comes back out. Oliver Reed's talking about something. He's like, well, madam, you best serve us in the kitchen. And he starts talking about feminism and all this shit, right? Oh, God. Um, he gets booed and he goes, I believe the woman's place is in the kitchen. They want to serve the man. That's why there are no female chefs. I'm right. They can see your face. It's <laughs> oh, fucking brutal, dude. Oh yeah. But he's such an asshole, and he went on so many talk shows being obliterated, drunk wise, right? And I just want to see how toe to toe I can go with all our. <laughs> <laughs> that's it yeah. yeah i don't think that today's audience would be too kind they would they fucking shouldn't be he was an asshole yeah oh man but that doesn't mean you don't but this drink is your somebody. choice i know i'm gonna give you the option again this no, is i the, think this is the one okay i can't they, I, going they, to they've gone but they've gone's clean dave bazan i've seen him drink a whole bottle of tequila on stage and there, there's all these other litany of, of musicians and stuff but let's not make it easy I think you know this is I mean? a fine choice. Yeah, yeah exactly. You exactly. need you need you need some resistance here. That motherfucker would be unpleasant. Yeah. Or we'd get on really well, not because we had shared opinions about things, but because we both just enjoy the drink. That's it. All right, man. <laughs> there we have it. Yeah. You have interviewed the famous Mike G. Yeah, really. On his own for his own podcast. Yeah. Shame on me. I, I have I have a I have a prediction. Yeah, this is going to be your most famous podcast, <laughs> your most listened to. I think you're full of utter bollocks. I don't think. Well, thank you, and I appreciate for you uh, having given me the privilege of oh, doing man. this for you. And I know yeah, a lot of people you. are going to be interested in this, and even though we didn't make you cry, <laughs> maybe later during the tasting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Reed, I, I appreciate it, mate. And now I feel purged. I don't have to go visit those damn priests anymore. That's right. Yeah. Cheers, All man. right, man. Take care. Well, there we have it. You just sat through, what, 58 minutes of me talking about stuff and me being loose. I don't really swear that much <laughs> on the interviews, but I don't care. It's my birthday. I really don't care. And for those of you that don't know who Oliver Reed is, he's just a legendary drunk. You know, he had such a arrogance, but yet elegance about the way he communicated. And he was very, very hated by many and beloved by others. So I think it's someone to check out. You go to YouTube and check out some of his clips. It's like akin to the Orson Welles him being drunk during interviews. Although Orson Welles is a much kinder and creative person than Oliver Reed was, in my opinion. But this was a good day. Good tasting. I love Quintuquento stuff. Got to visit a couple producers out there, too. And Reed, thank you so much for doing the thing. No one sat that long, you know, asking me stupid and great things alike about, about my life. And 
I think this will probably do it. I don't know if I have anything else really to say. Or if I do it, I guess it'll be in song form. So, Thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how excited you are to go and get a cocktail tonight for your birthday, or if you're thinking, I do have more work to do on Sunday, so it's not really a time off kind of weekend for my birthday, please keep dancing.